Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, I'm Pastor Olivia. For those who don't know me, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you've known without a shadow of a doubt that you were right about something. Has anyone ever been there? And then it turns out that you're actually wrong. And um, it feels less embarrassing to like pretend like you don't care than to actually admit to being wrong. So like you're wrong and you have to pretend like I never really cared about being right because that would be more embarrassing than actually being wrong. I've been there a few times, but this one particular time, I was around the age of eight and I was absolutely convinced that my parents had given me the short end of the stick when it came to my childhood bedroom. I was convinced that my sister's room was bigger and that it had the better paint color and the better furniture and honestly like the better view out of the windows than mine. Fundamentally convinced, my parents kept reminding me like, we actually designed the house so we know that it has the same square footage and you actually picked the paint color. So like, I'm not really sure what can be done about this. But I was, I was convinced, and I tried to get my sister on my side, which wasn't all that hard because she was feeling the same way. And so against my parents' wishes, we switched rooms, okay? And we didn't move our furniture. We just moved our clothes. And I don't know if they actually knew that we did this, um, but my mom and dad are here, so now they do. Um, we switched rooms. They told us not to, I think, but we did. And I was like, I've made it. I did it. I have the bigger room and the better paint color and the better comforter and everything is good here. Until I was laying in a bed that night that wasn't my own and I was terrified. I'm like looking around and I'm like, this room actually feels smaller. Don't love the paint color. The bedspread I think is actually identical to mine. And I would really like to just be in my old room. I'd really like to go back. So what did I do? I prayed. I laid, I remember this so clearly. I laid in bed and I was like, Lord, I want to go back. What I did was wrong. I'd like to go back to my old room. And I think that tonight that you can make that happen. So when I go to sleep, I just pray that you would switch me back to my old room. And like, I believe you can do that. And listen, no one has to know, Lord. It will be our secret. No one has to know. So I remember laying in bed and like opening my eyes. Like, has it happened yet? And obviously it didn't happen. I kept waking up in my sister's bed. But I think, first of all, that that story is kind of cute, okay? But the truth is, I also believed that God could do that. I believed that he cared enough about my discomfort. Discomfort, right? I was in a very warm home with a nice bed, But I believed he cared enough about my discomfort that it mattered enough to him that he would move miraculously in the middle of the night and take me back to the safety of my own bed. 
But here's the thing. I didn't even, like, I could have gone to my parents and been like, I've made a mistake. I need to go back. And they would have probably helped me. I could have gone and negotiated with my sister and been like, hey, are you feeling this way too? Let's just switch back. And maybe I was embarrassed. Maybe it was like, I really wish I was right about this. But also, I think that I believed that my prayer in this situation mattered to God. I think I believed that he genuinely cared and would want to help me in my discomfort. So I would ask you, church, this morning, as we dive into where we're going, to think, when was the last time that you believed that your prayer, your petition to God really mattered? And really think about that. When is the last time you believed what you had to say to God mattered? So think about that. And if you were here last week, you remember that it was different than our normal Sunday. I wasn't here in person, but I did get to watch online. Um, And we got the chance to talk about prayer, but then we also got the chance to pray. And like I said, I wasn't in the room, but I got to watch the prayer happening in this room last Sunday, and it was beautiful. And this is important for us right now, right? If you don't know, we're in this season of prayer and fasting as a church while we observe Lent. And this is a big deal because we're believing during this season that our prayer matters. But don't hear what I'm not saying. We don't reserve our prayer for a specific time of the calendar year. We don't believe that it only matters during Lent or it matters more during Lent. But we are declaring, we're believing as a church body that over these next few weeks while we observe Lent, that God will do something in our midst as we cry out to him together as a church. So this is important for us. Prayer is important for us. So it feels right to me that we're continuing our James series with another week on prayer. So we are going to be back in James chapter 5, specifically verses 17 and 18. But I do want to remind us where we're coming from because where we're coming from matters a lot for where we're going today. So if you don't remember or you weren't here last week, we talked about, um, we talked through a passage where James was encouraging readers to pray in faith. He said, is, is someone sick or are they troubled? Let them pray. Have they sinned? Let them pray and repent. Let them come to me. And this part, this is really important for us. James declares that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So as we go to verses 17 and 18, he's really just illustrating. He's giving us an illustration of what he said previously. He's saying what I said previously is in fact true. um, And here is the story of someone who can show you that. So if you have your copy of scripture, I would invite you to turn to James 5. If you don't, You can follow along on our events page in the YouVersion app. But this is what our passage for today says. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So, like we've said, um, the text before us today is a text from James that really it's about the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. He's, James is pointing us to the story of Elijah to help solidify the point that he's made previously. So before we look at Elijah, I do just think that James kind of sneaks something in this passage that will help inform us as we really dig into Elijah. James says clearly, Elijah was a human being 
just as we are. And I think that he says this because James knows. He knows that this story about Elijah would be way easier to believe if Elijah was not a human. This story that we're going to dig into about Elijah would be way easier to understand, to believe is real if Elijah had some sort of divine nature. But James is clear. He's clear that Elijah is normal. He's a human just like you and me. So now that we know that, now that we have that established, we can look at the story of Elijah. And our story is, it starts in 1 Kings chapter 16. And It's really long, so you don't necessarily need to go there and follow along. I'm going to try to do my best to summarize it for you as we move through it. But our story doesn't actually start with Elijah. Our story, for me, for me, it starts with um, the king of Israel. It's important to start here because the king of Israel during this time, during Elijah's time, is actually creating chaos for the followers of God. We learn that the king of Israel is King Ahab, and during his reign, he began to serve and worship a god named Baal. We read that he built a temple for Baal, where he set up an altar for Baal. Um, And we read clearly in the text in 1 Kings, it says this, King Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than all of the kings of Israel that had come before him, which is a big deal. So we have to know that the nation of Israel, as we start, is not in a good place. Christians are being persecuted. False gods are being worshipped. And we've already learned that the king of Israel is not on the side of the Lord. And this, this point in time is when we first hear from Elijah. This is when he first enters the scene, and he does so boldly, I might say. He enters the scene, and he announces that there's going to be a major drought in the land. Specifically, he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain the next few years except at my word. You know, we don't read that Elijah gets down on his knees in public and prays to God for no rain. Um, And because we weren't there, we really only know what we know. But James tells us that Elijah prayed earnestly. So James is already telling us this announcement, this declaration from Elijah is really a prayer. And so I think about that and I ask myself, like, have I ever been in a situation where um, I believe something so strongly that has come from the Lord that I'm able to declare it in confidence? And I think that's what's happening here. Listen, Elijah was a prophet of the Lord. So we get to believe that he knew God and he was close with God. And so I want to make the case, like James, when Elijah declares that there will be no rain, that he's doing it with a heart of prayer. I believe that his public declaration was a plea to the Lord, a plea for the Lord's justice and for the people to know the truth about who he was. And almost immediately after we see Elijah make this public declaration, um, we see God come to him and provide for him um, time after time. In fact, as you look in chapter 17, basically all it is is God going before Elijah and making provision for him. So, we, we see Elijah pray to the Lord for no rain. We see the Lord respond immediately by causing a drought and then providing for Elijah. And not only providing for Elijah, but providing for the people who care for him. 
Elijah's declaration was one of prayer, and God responded. So I just want to pause again in the story and acknowledge some things that are important for us to really understand what's going on. Because Elijah has declared that through God, through him, God will stop the rain. And we know the negative implications of a drought. It impacts our food supply, our water supply. It brings devastation and disruption to the land. And it's, it's devastating. But the kicker for us in this particular story is that Baal, um, the God that the king of Israel is worshiping and leading others to worship, is actually supposed to be um, the God of the weather, the God that controls the weather. So you see how this is problematic. Because when Elijah declares that there will be a drought and it actually happens, it would be nice if the king would be like, oh, surely this is, this man is talking about the one true God. But instead, he resents Elijah for disrupting the God Baal, for making him mad and causing this drought. So that's kind of where we're at. And um, we see a few years pass, specifically three and a half years, and there's still no rain. But then we see God come to Elijah and tells Elijah to present himself to King Ahab. He goes and he says, if you go present yourself to King Ahab, I will send rain to the land. And this is where the story actually gets really good. Um, So Elijah meets King Ahab and he says, hey, why don't you go get all the prophets of Baal and the other gods that you worship and also go get all the people of Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel. So this is 850 prophets is what we read, plus all the people of Israel. This is a crowd that Elijah is calling to meet with on Mount Carmel. And so that's what happens. They, they all meet up on the mountain, and Elijah tells the people of Israel, the prophets of Baal, to go get a bull and prepare it for sacrifice. He tells them to call on their God, but to not light the fire. So he's setting up this, like, challenge of sorts. And if you know the story, you know what happens. Um, and so he has them set up their altar, prepare a sacrifice. And the challenge is, like, if your God is real, he will light the sacrifice. But if not, if he doesn't, that also says something about who he is. He's not real, right? And so then we see the people of Israel, the worshipers of Baal, praying to him, asking to make himself known, to light the sacrifice. But of course, you and I are not surprised when we read that nothing happens. But I actually want to read the next part of the story to you from Scripture because I think it actually proves something that James is trying to tell us, okay? So we're going to be in chapter 18, verse 27. It says, and remember, this is after the people of Israel are crying out to Baal, trying to worship him, praying for him to make himself known. And so it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So I read that to you because if we had any question about Elijah's humanity, I think this settles it. 
I rarely read in scripture of someone like actually making fun of people, but that's what's happening here. Elijah is like taunting the people of Israel who are in actual distress, maybe for the wrong reason, but nevertheless, they're distressed and he shows little to no empathy. And so when James told us that Elijah is a human, I think we can believe it. I think we can understand that that's true. But the story keeps going, and Elijah prepares a bull for his sacrifice, building an altar, and then also digging a trench around the altar, okay? And so then he does something, again, really bold. He has someone pour four large jugs of water on the altar. And then he says, actually, do that two more times. And we read in Scripture that he does that until the altar is drenched. It's soaked, and the trench is full of water, And I think what's happening here is that Elijah is trying to make it absolutely impossible for the sacrifice to be lit by human standards. He wants to really prove something here. So let's go to verse 36 and read what happened. It said, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you our God in Israel, and that I am your servant. And I've done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So God proved himself to be exactly who he says he is. So last week, Pastor Adrian defined prayer as coming to the Lord. And if we believe this is true, then we've seen Elijah praying without ceasing through this whole story. He is continuing to come to the Lord. He continues to trust the Lord, to provide for him. And honestly, he shows us time after time that he trusts the Lord for his life. There's no doubt in my mind that James points us to Elijah because Elijah is the ultimate example of relying on prayer because Elijah is the ultimate example of someone who believed their prayer mattered because he's proof that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. To Elijah, prayer was not optional. It was not conditional. It was essential. So we believe that's true, but how do we know that? How do we look at scripture and decide that prayer truly was essential for Elijah? We know that prayer was essential because he had to depend on God completely. Elijah knew that he couldn't depend on God without coming to God and being with God. And so we see the deep need that Elijah had for a life of prayer because at almost every turn, he was relying on God completely for his next meal, for water, for shelter. He was relying on God for that. He was not capable of providing for himself during this devastating drought while also being in hiding from a group of people who really didn't want to see him alive. Remember, the king of Israel is so mad at Elijah that he would rather see him dead. So he had to depend on God completely, We also know that prayer was essential to Elijah because the importance of prayer, the importance of coming to the Lord, outweighed the risk of his prayer. Elijah didn't call out to the Lord to bring people to himself, right? 
He was calling out to God to bring a nation back to God. So I would invite you to remember that question at the beginning of the service. When was the last time you believed that your prayer mattered? There's no doubt in my mind that Elijah knew that his prayer was important. Not only was he asking God to make himself known, but he was putting a massive target on his back by trying to prove that the king of Israel was wrong. He was incorrect. So his prayer was important, but it was also risky. So coming to the Lord, praying to the Lord was more important than putting his own life at risk. And finally, we see the importance of prayer in Elijah's life because of how much Elijah knew God and trusted him. Here's the other significant thing about Elijah's prayer to the Lord. It was, it was going to negatively impact the land that he lived in. So as Elijah prayed for no rain, he prayed knowing that that would have implications for him too. It would impact the quality of his own life. It would negatively impact him. But Elijah knew that as a child of God, that he could trust God, that he could rely on him completely because God had nothing but good for him. So if we really step back and think about the story, it's clear that Elijah was living a life with God. He was praying to God and with God before we first met him in scripture. We know that Elijah already knows God, and because of that, he trusts him. That only happens by being with the Lord, by having a life of prayer. So the bottom line for us today is not only should we commit our lives to prayer. Not only should we commit our lives to prayer, we must. If Elijah has taught us anything today, it's that for us, prayer is not an option. It's not an option, but I do think there are two things that we can walk away with today. Two things that we can take away from all of this. One is that prayer draws us close to the heart of God. I have absolutely no doubt that this whole story, this encounter that Elijah had with the Lord brought him nearer to God. We actually talked about that, right? His praying resulted in complete dependence and trust in God. He was brought in close. But just for a minute, I want to tell you all about another circumstance in my life where prayer made all the difference. It was probably, this was in my adult life, probably four years ago. And I was in just a really tough spot. And, you know, I'll be honest, I was really lonely. I was lonely and I um, was having this health issue that felt really big at the time. It felt like a really big deal and it was impacting my ability to like walk normally and it felt big. And that particular day I had gone to the doctor and they were like, this could actually be bad, but we need to like run some tests and see what's going on and um, we just need to wait. And so I went home that night I was at home by myself. It was, I mean, honestly, it was just a really sad picture of me. It was like dark and raining outside, and I was sad. I was lonely, and everything going on around me just felt so heavy. I was feeling the weight of my circumstances as I laid there on my couch. So as I was laying there on my couch, I cried out and just just had it out with God. I mean, really had it out. I told him that I had felt neglected. I told him that I felt like he'd forgotten about me. And this whole situation is so clear in my mind. I remember telling the Lord, God, I need you to show up for me today. 
I know that it's 10 o'clock, we're running out of time, but I need you to show up for me today. I need you to remind me that you care. I was literally crying out to him in my living room. And so I sat in my despair for some time until I felt this like tiny nudge to go get the mail. And I was like, I'm not getting the mail. It hurts to walk. It's raining outside. It's dark. I don't want to. And so I just continued to lay there. And a couple minutes later, it was like this really strong nudge to go get the mail. And I was like, okay, I'll go get the mail. So I went outside in the rain and I went to the mailbox and I realized that I had a letter from one of my college friends in my mailbox, which was really rare, but I took it inside and I opened the envelope and like confetti like lunged out at me. I don't know if you can see it. It's, this was a long time ago and the confetti is like still in there. So I open it and confetti like comes out at me and I was like, this is weird. It was a really, really late birthday card, but I opened up the card and I just want to read you a couple lines. This is what it said. Liv, I didn't want to miss a good opportunity to send you a note to say I'm thinking of you and I'm so thankful for you. I love the person who you are. I'm so proud of you. I hope you experience the riches of Christ's love, peace, and joy through this season. I'm praying that for you. I miss you like crazy and I love you big time. So I read that and I, of course, I wept. (laughs) And they were happy tears this time. I wept because it was just the most bizarre and powerful way of the Lord going before me and working out the details to answer my prayer. And here's the thing, my circumstance didn't change. I still was unsure about my health. I still felt kind of lonely in my house. I had a lot of questions about what was gonna happen with my life, but my trust in God was deepened that day. Because I was willing to call out to him, I was brought in close to the heart of God. Which leads us to our second point, that God responds when we pray. And I didn't, I on purpose, didn't say that God responds quickly or right away or in the way that we want. Yes, sometimes he does. I mean, let's look at Elijah. Um, What we see in scripture is that Elijah prays and immediately God comes through. As far as we can tell, God responded quickly, right away, miraculously. And I think that's really often our hope too, that when we pray, we hope that God responds quickly. He takes action immediately. And why wouldn't we? We live in a society that demands like two-day overnight shipping. And so I get that. We want things right away. So sometimes when God's timeline doesn't quite match up with our own. It feels like maybe he doesn't care about this particular thing going on in my life. Maybe there's really no answer to this particular prayer. And I'm only saying that because I've really felt that way. I've really felt that way. But for just a minute, I want to talk about Elijah again. I want to focus on a part of the story that doesn't, we don't really notice it unless we're looking for it. We're really looking for it. You see, Elijah, he went to Ahab. He presented himself to him like God had asked um, because God told him clearly, indirectly, that it would rain. God says in chapter 18 to Elijah that if he goes, he will send rain. So we see Elijah go. And we see the prayer, we see the situation on Mount Carmel, we see God respond immediately and in a really crazy way. He sends down fire and the people realize who God is. 
But notice, still, there's no rain. God even promised the rain, and there's no rain, right? So we see this moment after God defeats Baal on the mountain where Elijah goes to Ahab, and he's like, well, now that God has proven himself, there will be rain. It's coming. And then we see Elijah go back up on the mountain, still no rain. And we read that he puts his face between his knees, And I don't really know why Elijah postures himself in this specific way, but if I'm on the ground with my head between my knees, I'm usually not well. I'm not doing great. So I have to imagine that Elijah feels defeated. God showed up in a powerful way, but still didn't do what he said he was going to do. So how many times have you, you felt like there's prayer being answered all around you? Other people are experiencing God. They're hearing from God. They're getting the answer, but God isn't answering you. I think Elijah maybe felt that way because we read that he sent his servant out to check for clouds seven times, seven times. So can you relate to Elijah? It's a dry season and you keep checking for God, but You're not getting the answer. You're still waiting for him to provide. You're waiting for him to notice you, to notice your situation. But the good news is that on the seventh time, Elijah's servant saw a cloud. We read it was small. It was the size of a fist, but it was a cloud. It was the answer to a promise. God answered his prayer, but it took Elijah's willingness to wait. So, I'm wondering today where you're at. If you are in a season of waiting, if you've given up, I'm not sure what's going on in each of your lives today, what situation you've been facing for the past couple of days, weeks, months, years. Maybe there's something you haven't gotten an answer to. But as we respond in prayer today, I would invite you to keep praying, to keep holding on, to keep trusting, to come in close to the heart of God. And maybe this is a hard ask for you wherever you're at today, but I would absolutely challenge you this morning to believe that your prayer matters. Your prayer matters and Our God is good and he is for you. So we saw that Elijah postured himself in a way that reflected his need, that reflected the way that he felt. He was vulnerable in front of God. So as we respond with a time of prayer this morning, I would invite you to posture yourself in a way that feels right for you. Maybe you need to sit or stand as we respond. Maybe you need to kneel at your chair or even an altar, but whatever that looks like for you this morning, as we respond, I would invite you to pray. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.